Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. Are you thriving today? Are you thriving today? How would you um how would you describe thriving? To what would you liken it? Are you flourishing? Maybe you think of the term used in John chapter 10. Maybe you're thinking about an abundant life. Do you, do you feel like you have the full life that Jesus came and died to make possible? Could you put that on a scale like a, or a ladder? So um, Gallup recently did a survey. They call it the Life Evaluation Index, and they've been doing it for a while. It's a survey of 100,000 Americans. And so uh, it's, it's an effort to sort of determine not just how we feel about ourselves, but um, Marking life in terms of our well-being across a number of different categories. So it's not just your physical well-being or your social well-being or your financial well-being or your career well-being, um, but, you know, kind of all of mental, mental health, I mean, like all of those things, like well-being is what they're trying to gauge here. And it's a life evaluation index. And so American adults were asked to rate their current and future lives on a ladder from or a scale from one to 10. So imagine that there's a ladder and you know the first rung of the ladder at the bottom is kind of the the worst possible situation you could imagine yourself in right now and then 10 you know is at the very top of that ladder it's the best life you could imagine yourself having right now and obviously depending on how you judge the quality of life is going to determine where you see yourself on that scale So think across a range of measures in your life and rate your current life. Like which rung of that ladder would you say you are on? And again, this is not this is not a wealth scale. This is a life scale. Satisfaction, relationships, joy, fulfillment, flourishing, thriving is what they're trying to measure here. So by whatever measure you measure the fullness of life, where are you on this ladder? Now look ahead five years and ask, do I expect to be higher or low, on a higher or a lower rung, maybe is the way to think about that. In terms of thriving, do I expect my life to be better or worse in five years? Now, if you asked a person who maybe imagines that in five years they're going to be with Jesus, well, they're going to be way beyond 10, right? But if they are a person who is living without the hope of eternal life, without the knowledge of salvation beyond this life, then they imagine they're going to be lower than the first rung in five years. Do you see how this, do you see how your worldview matters, even in terms of how you view this life? 
So if you would say today that you are, your life is a seven or higher on this ladder, then according to Gallup, you are thriving. And, uh, and about half of those surveyed said they're thriving just based on their own sense of well-being. And again, this is an American survey. It's 100,000 adults. Um, so a little over half of us, 51%, describe themselves as seven or higher on that ladder. That's pretty good. Um, and there are some key correlations that they, that they draw out of this. Do you know what tops the list? This was what caught my attention yesterday. Do you know what tops the list? There's one key correlation for a thriving life, and it's how connected you feel to your actual physical neighbors. That's it. Number one on the list is how many people you regularly say hello to who are your actual neighbors. So think about that for a moment. Now, I am a say hi to everybody, say hello to everybody kind of person. That will not surprise you. But this is actually about saying hello to people whose names you know and who know your name. So that is what... Um, it, this is not just like randomly, you know, being the person waving from a parade vehicle, right? This is actually speaking to your neighbors and calling them by name, saying hello, being actually concerned for one another. And you know what the next step is to instantly improve your thriving score? Engage with your neighbor in a meaningful way. So start by saying hello and then take a step forward into serving one another. That's it. That's it. And how many, um, how many neighbors do I need to be saying hello to and then engaging with? Six, to be exact. It has a um, diminishing return after six. So, uh, you know, start with one, get to know one neighbor, and then keep expanding that, and you are going to actually improve your overall well-being. It's really crazy on every scale. Your physical well-being, your financial well-being, your social well-being, your mental will be on and on and on the whole list. Anyway, there you go. Uh, how are you doing today? Are you thriving? And, uh, and let's be people who not only believe in the goodness of God, but extend it to others as, as neighbors who show mercy. I'm uh, continuing to pray the news today. The Maui fire fatalities are now confirmed at 106. That number is expected to continue to rise. The affected areas uh, continue to be searched. There are still some 1,300 people unaccounted for. And I just want to remind us today that God accounts for each and every one. God sees it all. God knows it all. God knows where you are and what you're dealing with right now. We're going to talk with our friend Daryl Crouch about Responding as a Christian neighbor to the reality of the kinds of tragic loss that people experience. Um, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Daryl Crouch is back. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Oh, I'm well. I'm going to have my annual physical today. That's always, uh, you know... <clears throat> a little sobering, and uh, and I can only have black coffee because it's one of those fasting, you know, exams oh, with blood yeah. work. So there you go. Uh, that's uh, that's, hey, that's good. The good news that's is good that's good. You're doing that though. That's really good. Oh uh, yeah. So last year uh, um, at this appointment is when my um, my you know whatever she's called the regular doctor you go to general practitioner person um, said hmm that thing on your neck hmm hmm that thing on your neck and then she sent me to uh, 
you know, have that checked by a dermatologist and I ended up having surgery and it ended up being melanoma. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but Mm -hmm. I'm good and I'm free of that. And so, but this is that appointment. So it's a little anxiety producing. Uh, I hear that. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. uh, we all understand that. We'll be praying for that. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful um, to, you know, have access to medical care and the ability to do it. So um, let's, I, I couldn't think of anyone better to talk with about maybe how not just pastors, but regular, ordinary Christians, um, which I know I shouldn't think of pastors as other than regular, ordinary Christians, but I do. Um, How we respond, let's say, as good neighbors, um, if we live the next street over or the next mile over or the next town over from like Lahaina, Maui, when, when our neighbors experience unspeakable tragedy and grief and loss, how do we respond? Well, that's a great question. I, and I think the first the first um, thing to be aware of is that they, they are uh, maybe not unspeakable in the sense of this kind of cataclysmic uh, tragedy that our friends in Hawaii are, are experiencing. But uh, the, the neighbor next door and the neighbor across the way, they're, they're probably dealing with a lot of grief that we know nothing about. Uh, we had a, a recent, um, in our own town just this weekend, an apartment fire took uh, 24 homes away from people. And so on Saturday, there were people coming around those families with love and support. A, a community just rallied around them. It was a it was a beautiful thing in that sense. But I think it's just important that we all understand that while apartment fires and uh, what's happening in in Hawaii and, and some other places around the world are obvious and they make the news. There's a lot of our neighbors that don't make the news and their their tragedy is just as profound in their life. It's just as, as heartbreaking and uh, life-changing for them. And um, so I think awareness is is really where we begin. Just seeing those people as image bearers, even though we don't know their story necessarily or all of their story, to know that the people that we come in contact with today are probably carrying a lot more than than we see or that we understand. Um, but then in responding to tragedy, um, I, I think, you know, Job's friends get a lot of a, a bad rap and they certainly uh, deserve some of that. But but for a few days, they did pretty they did pretty well. And I think there's a beauty that uh, we have in just sitting with people and being present with people and listening to people and sitting in the silence and being okay with that um, is is really important. Uh, people need to process, you know, their grief. They they need to hear it, hear the words out loud, and so they say things maybe that aren't exactly true, uh, like objectively true, but. They're working through that in a grieving process. And so for us to be able to to sit with people and allow them to grieve, um, we hear more today than ever. And I'm not a sociologist or um, I'm not I'm not expert in that space, but we hear so much about trauma. And and it could be in some spaces overplayed. But but I think um, I think it's it's very real. If you sit down and you begin to have a conversation with someone at the tire store, or you begin, as you said, to talk to your neighbor 
and let them get into a conversation, you know, begin to express themselves, stop long enough to listen, you're going to find that um, their stories are, 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 are pretty tough. And so I think for us to, um, to have an empathy about us and to listen, to understand, rather than trying to fix people is a really good place to start. Hmm. That's so good. That reminder um, that people need to tell their story, that they need to process their grief, um, that they need to be able, uh, allowed to have the space to say things out loud, even when sometimes those things aren't true. Like I need to relinquish my, my sense of like right to be right and, you know, and, Mm. you know, correct. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a good, that's such a good word. And we're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch here in just a moment. Um, as you are as you are walking with your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues, as you are walking with them through seasons of grief, through valleys of shadows, um, what kind of help do you need? Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next. But if you've got a particular question, um, you can always text me eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. We're talking with our friend Daryl Crouch. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. He also has a substack, um, and you can find that at darylcrouch.substack.com. Daryl, we've got a listener uh, here on the line who says, um, hey, Daryl just used the term image bearers. Well, what does that mean, and how does it help me think of other people maybe as family? Oh, thanks for the question. I love that. Uh, we, we're we uh, stamped with the image of God. We are created in the image of God. Uh, every one of us have um, the image of God stamped upon us. And in and because of that, there's, there's a lot of implications for that, that a lot of s- smart theologians have worked through over the centuries. But um, in this context, um, first of all, it means that everyone is... Um, created for a relationship with God and built for a relationship with other people. We were just as the triune Godhead uh, existing community with one another. We, we were built for community. And so um, we, we have capacity for, to know God and to know other people. The great commandment is an expression of that to love God um, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so uh, that's the first implication. The, The second one that would apply here is that, uh, because we're image bearers, we we bear uh, or we we possess 
uh, dignity and uh, we are uh, due respect of neighbor. And and so uh, as we see people, sometimes we see them for their utility. Uh, how are they doing? Uh, how are they doing for us? How are they serving us? And many times we respond to them based on their behavior or they, their, uh, their response to us. And instead, I think our first uh, default, our disposition, our posture toward people should be first as, as image bearers, that, that they are worthy of our respect and our care and our love simply because of who they are created to be and that they bear the image of God, not because they treated us right or they served us well at the coffee shop or they waved at us on their way out of the driveway. Um, maybe they didn't do any of those things, but uh, our our response to them is is as image bearers. And so uh, there's there's great co- uh, compassion that 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 should be our our first response to people. And so uh, as um, as these neighbors of ours grieve, which grief is a normal part of the human experience, uh, it says that there's more to come. It the grief actually points to a to a coming hope that will soon be realized and and so i think uh, we see grief as a normal part of life uh, but uh, one that we we find uh, we have great opportunity to step into uh, as these image-bearing neighbors of ours go through this we we can bring them the hope of the gospel and that it's it's normal to grieve uh, but uh, that grief points to something greater. All creation groans, and we groan with it. And um, knowing that there, uh, we are eagerly awaiting for adoption, um, uh, as Paul wrote in Romans eight. Um, I think that there are folks. In fact, there tech that some folks texting in like, "This is what I need. This is what I need. I need somebody to see me. I need somebody to." Um, know my name. I need somebody to just acknowledge that, you know, I'm here. Um, I think there is also this desire to be affirmed for what we do or what we've done. And some of that might need to be relinquished. Um, we are human beings. We're not human doings. And sometimes we arrive at a at a place or a stage where we can't do anything, but we can be. And I think that you're encouraging us um to to go like job's friends and then and then be like job's friends at the beginning right and then and then learn the lesson of uh of the times we're tempted to say too much or the wrong thing at the wrong time and um and i don't want that to lead us to fear going or fear saying something but i do think that having some things in mind in advance like what might i say how might i approach this and to lift that up before the lord to look at the kinds of things that Jesus said to people, um, to to recognize the kinds of things that have been a blessing or beneficial to us in the past, um, as other people have spoken to us in seasons of grief, um, I've learned to just ask people. Like it, you you look like you've got quite a load that you're bearing right now. Are you grieving a loss I know nothing about? Mm-hmm. Like right? I mean, just to say, yeah. just to say it. Just to let, just to create a space where people can pour it out. Yeah, yeah. Not uh, they, they, the the phrase I hear a lot now is non-assumptive questions, but just, but just mm. uh, rather than assuming, um, just asking legitimate questions 
and um and stopping long enough to listen to the answer people do want there's this we we know an epidemic of loneliness so so many people when they grieve uh, they they experience loss they often do it by themselves which is not uh what we were created to do and i think um those folks need to, as as your listeners have have uh, said this morning they we we all want to be known we all want to be seen uh we may not all uh, have the same uh, disposition for vulnerability in a given moment but but we all long to be loved and, and i think to your point earlier as well that uh, we have to give ourselves a break we we have to show ourselves the grace that god has shown to us that we don't have it all together and all is not okay but it's okay not to know what to do next not to know how to grieve to have this these groanings that are too deep for words um i think we 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 all need to show ourselves a little bit extra grace and let ourselves off the hook um particularly in times of grief and uh, we need to you know show that to others obviously but sometimes we think that grieving is some indication of weakness when it's simply just an indication that we're human. Mm, so good. Thank you so much, Daryl. As always, I know you are um, you are praying as I am for people walking in in all kinds of grief today and loss and need. And so, thank you for walking with us as well. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, likewise. You can find Daryl at everyoneswilson.org. Maybe there you'll be inspired how to engage in your local community and with other Christians to, you know, bring about positive change right where you live. It, it really is about being neighbor. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. want to send up a, a prayer today for farmers of, of all varieties in all places. In particular, I'd like to lift up um, Victor Tysk. Victor Tysk um, harvested 4,800 tons of wheat this month. Um, that sounds like a lot of wheat to me. I don't know if you're a wheat farmer, you might tell me that's, that is or that isn't a lot of wheat, but 4,800 tons of wheat sounds like a lot of wheat. Victor Tysk and the men who work for him harvested that grain this month. Um, but there's no way to get it to people who need it. Victor says, um, I don't know what I'm going to do with what I have produced. He also doesn't know how his farm is going to survive. Tysk uh, normally exported up to 90% of his harvest from the southern port of Odessa. Um, and actually, this year's yield is 20% higher than last year. Like, God, God gave the growth. God gave an abundant harvest. Um, that would have meant for Victor Tysk and the families who depend upon his farm for their sustenance, physically and financially, that would have been a boon in times of peace. But in the midst of war and the logistics related to war, including Rus Russia's not only blockage of ports, but Russia's um, bombing of grain depots 
um, like thousands of other Ukrainian farmers, uh, Viktor Tysk does not know what to do. He's 67 years old. This is what he has done, not only for a lifetime, but for generations in his family. And, um, and he said to, to the reporter uh, at the Associated Press, it's just too painful to talk about. Um, four of his employees have left to join the fight. Uh, the ones who remain have been harvesting and storing the wheat. And what are they doing now? They're seeding the land, preparing for next season. They're seeding the land, preparing for next season. Friends, that is a Jeremiah kind of faith. Um, And so as we here in the United States contend with uh, the slow progress of the 2023 Farm Bill, which needs to be passed, needs to be... um, needs to be moved forward. I mean, we're, we're living on uh, temporary extensions of the 2018 farm bill. Um, and, and so as we contend with those things and we think about safety nets for our farmers and we think about um, the, the food safety net for Americans through the SNAP program and we think about the importance of agricultural research and rural development and crop insurance and food aid and um, all kinds of shipping. uh, I mean, there's so many things in the farm bill, farm credits and forestry and land stewardship and on and on and on and on and on. If you're a farmer, you you know what I'm talking about. If you're farm related, if you eat, you should know what I'm talking about in terms of the farm bill. Um, But then we look at the world and um, there's a lot of people who are not going to eat today and a lot of farmers who cannot plant today and cannot get to market that which they have harvested. War has um, cascading effects that are very significant. And so I just want you to lift up Victor Tysk today. I want you just to bring him into, into your mind and lift him up as one man on one farm in Ukraine, having harvested 4,800 tons of wheat this month. And there's, there's nowhere for it to go. He can't afford to store it. And there's no way for it to get to hungry people around the world. And lift up a prayer for peace. That God would bring peace. That people might simply live. Our friend Mark Terman is going to join us next. We're going we're gonna to talk about um, the intersection of science and faith. What are some of the things that science tells us about God? Um, science and faith are not enemies. Um, so how can they be friends? And how can people of faith be friends with people of science? And, um, and how can people who think scientifically reach others who think that way um, for Jesus? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Mark Terman is back. He's the executive director of the Denison Forum. You can find him and what we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Great to be with you. 
So I uh, I have been listening to some of your recent podcasts, and I thought it might be fun for us to talk about some of the things that you learned um, in your recent conversations. Would that be okay? Yeah, would love to. So Dr. Stephen Meyer um, is this, well, both of these people are like super duper smarty pants. So I think we'll just start there. Um, we're talking about people who think in ways and have studied things in ways that most of us, you know, we, we did like seventh grade science and that was about the extent of it. Um, but these are genuine like thinkers and scientists. So, um, who is Stephen Meyer and what did you learn from him about what science tells us about God? Yeah, so been a fascinating uh, journey for the last uh, couple of weeks on our podcast. We uh, decided with the start of school, we wanted to come back to this topic of the intersection of science and faith. Uh, we've been living uh, really for at least a hundred years or so under this idea that science has disproven God and that God is unnecessary as a concept. Uh, in our thinking and that science is really all there is and that uh, this materialistic worldview is the way that we should just understand ultimate reality and that uh, we just kind of uh, happened to occur through some kind of what Stephen Meyer called a primordial soup uh, that just happened to find a way to line up and create the first organisms that ultimately evolved in the, in the work and thinking of, of Darwin uh, to what we experience today. Stephen Meyer and a, a number of others that I've had a chance to talk with over the last month or so are saying, no, that's absolutely not the case. And science and faith are not at war with each other. In fact, they are great uh, complements to each other. And Stephen Meyer uh, started his career uh, basically working in the area of oil and gas here in Texas. Uh, was not educated here, but came here because of a job. And while he was listening to uh, a presentation by other scientists dealing with things in the uh, geological realities of the oil industry, uh, they started sharing their faith, how they had turned from their uh, atheistic, naturalistic worldview to a belief that God really was real and that God started all that we experience. And those testimonies started his own faith journey, which ultimately led him first to become a believer in God and then ultimately to become a Christian. And today is still uh, not only a uh, fully engaged, uh, high-level, highly regarded scientist, but is a man of deep faith, uh, as are many scientists, not only today, but in history as well. So you use the term um, primordial soup, which, see, this is not just introduce you to how my brain works, which may or may not be the right way a brain is supposed to work. But have you heard of chaos cooking? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Well, when you say primor primordial soup, what occurs to me is like somebody had, the, where did the ingredients come from? Like, right, there's a, there's always a question behind the question, because if there's something there then how did the something that's there get there? So even if you talk about primordial soup, like there had to be some ingredients in the fridge, which led to my like chaos cooking, which is a thing where you just take whatever's in your fridge and you make a meal out of it and it's a thing. And so is that a part of this conversation? Like when we, when we start talking with one another about first things, 
there has to be, I mean, there there has to be a first first. And if it's not God, then what or who is it? Well, and that's that's really where naturalism uh, uh, contrasts with uh, theism, the idea that God is the first thing, which is what Christians and many other people of faith, not just Christian faith, would hold to. Uh, but a naturalistic worldview or materialistic worldview uh, is this atheistic idea that there is no such thing as God, but the first things were uh, the the natural order, that the natural order has always been here in some way, and that that is the thing that uh, was the first of all things, and therefore uh, became the source of everything else, that it wasn't God, that it was in some way uh, these very basic, uh, original, materialistic elements. Um, now, scientists continue to to move down the road, especially people like Stephen Meyer, uh, Tom Redelius, uh, Alistair McGrath, others that we've had ch- chance to talk to recently, are saying, no, that just that that's not a legitimate answer to the question of what was first. And when you get down to first things, one of the things you get to is, is okay, it, it's it's foolish to, to ask the question in some ways, uh, where did God come from? Because God cannot be proven in that way because he is the first thing, as they uh, sometimes refer to him as the unmoved mover or the first cause. Uh, and so you get to this place of saying, okay, do we believe that there was uh, a being, a higher power, God, and that is the first thing that has always been, or was it some form, even very, very basic forms of uh, what we would call atoms or quarks or other kinds of things in science that are a part of the materialistic world. Uh, which one are the? Which one of those two things is first? And Christians and other people of faith would say it's God that is first. It is this higher level of intelligence. Um, this person that Christians would say is God that is the original source of all things, not the materialistic elements that that form the physical universe. That's so good. Um, there's a whole list of resources that you can check out if you go to denisonforum.org. And, um, and in the podcast uh, related to this, there's a whole list of resources. It starts with returnofthegodhypothesis.com. Um, and books by Stephen Meyer, but it gets into um, to other resources as well. Um, and so let me invite you to check that out. When you think about the beginning and when you think about in the beginning, what comes to mind? I hope that Genesis 1-1 springs to mind. In the beginning, God. Um, I hope that John 1-1 springs to mind. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. Um, when you think about beginning things, what's the first thought you have? And is it God? I sure hope so. We're going to talk next with uh, Mark Terman about what happens when a theoretical physicist meets God. First, we're going to find out what a theoretical physicist is. Yeah, it's uh, it's early in the day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Have you ever wondered where God is when you feel like you need him most? Do you recognize that he's closer than your next breath? Are you confident in that? Do you trust in that? Susie Larson has a brand new book closer than your next breath. Where is God when you need him most? And we're giving away 100 copies of it this month. 
So we want you to win yours at MyFaithRadio.com. I want to encourage you right now that there is nothing like living in the fullness of the presence of God moment by moment. No matter what is going on, you can live as a person who is content in the presence of God. God is literally with you always, closer than your next breath. And we want you to experience that. So grab a copy of Closer Than Your Next Breath. You can sign up to win one at MyFaithRadio.com. Our friend Mark Terman is here. He's the executive director of the Denison Forum. Um, You can find what we're talking about at DenisonForum.org. You're going to want to click on the podcast, and it's the latest two podcasts Um, The most recent of which is what happens when a theoretical physicist meets God, which sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, but it's not. No, it's it's not a joke, but uh, I'm with you, Carmen. You know, I went to school for a long time to get to to the place where I am today, which is I just know how much I don't know. Right. Oh, Um, right. And and uh, science was the thing that almost kept me from graduating high school as well as graduating college. What's um, the last science class that, like, when you th- when you think back, you're like, okay, that's the last one I remember enjoying? Oh, I don't, uh, well, I think it may have been my eighth grade science class where we mm-hmm. were learning about the space shuttle. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one I enjoyed. When, mm-hmm. when I got to college, I was required to take a science, and I, I took geology because <gasps> some friends me told too. me it would be, it would be easy, and... I don't know how anybody would ever remember all those different kinds of rock. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I took, so, okay. My, my last science class that I remember enjoying was seventh grade, Mr. Setacassi. That's it. That's the one I remember. That's the, the last one I remember. And then I remember the ones that I, that I remember the ones after that, that I didn't really did not like, um, including like biology. Um, I mean, my teacher, literally her name was Miss Stern. Anyway, um, and oh, yes, yeah. it goes, it just goes downhill from there. And yes, like you in college, I was required to take a science credit. And so I took what at the University of Florida was called rocks for jocks. And yes, anybody that had to get a science credit and just had to make their way through uh, took it. And so there you go. All right. So I don't know what a theoretical physicist is. Um, and so could you introduce us to um, Tom Rudelius? I'm going to guess is maybe how you say his name. Yeah, well, congratulations on saying his name correctly, because it's not obvious. Um, But Tom is a great young scientist, I would say. I've had the opportunity to, as you said, to talk with Stephen Meyer. I would say he's in his middle years. Uh, Alistair McGrath from Oxford got to talk with him recently. And Tom Rodelius is a little bit more on the younger end. He is working in the natural science, uh, biology, chemistry, physics. Those are the natural sciences. Natural science of the natural science of physics is the study of matter. Uh, that is the the study of how things uh, operate in our world, in our universe, around motion. It, it involves the ideas of gravity, space, time, energy, force. Uh, you start thinking here of Albert Einstein uh, when you start talking about uh, physics and the theoretical side of physics is uh, this area of trying to understand from a theoretical standpoint how all of these things work, how do you map them out using mathematical models, how do you uh, come up with theories that explain 
Why do things in our universe move and act and respond in the way that they do? Now I've told you just about everything I, I know about uh, theoretical <laughs> physics, okay? But Tom has dedicated his life to that. He uh, went to college as uh, a person who had no real significant exposure to faith. Uh, when he went to college, his brother, twin brother, went to Northwestern, and his brother actually became a Christian first and started talking about his faith with Tom, uh, who basically put him off at first, but through his own testimony and through uh, the witness of his brother, they started talking not only about science, but also about faith and how those two things go together. And ultimately, that led to Tom Redelius starting his own serious faith journey and how uh, the reality of God might be actually a legitimate part of not only his uh, his soul, but also of his work as a scientist. Like wave theory and like particle accelerators and like the guy who recently said that AI is just like a big tape recorder. When you say that theoretical physicists, they try to take things that we actually would recognize and they use those things to try to explain to us things that we cannot see, taste, touch, hear, smell. Is that kind of theoretical physics? Well, I think it's it's that in a significant way, but I think it's more than that. Uh, some of the things we can see, feel, hear, touch, uh, mm. and they're trying to understand how do those things work? How do they move together? How do they impact and, and influence our lives? And uh, what I've loved about these conversations, Carmen, is... Uh, going back and resetting people's understanding, because really for the last hundred years, uh, we've been living dominated in the scientific community by uh, the thoughts and work of Charles Darwin, of uh, others who mm. came before him, um, of people like uh, Freud, and all of this idea of of scientific theory that says there's no reason to believe in God or to believe that there is a God. That's actually only a recent reality in the scientific community. And as uh, both Redelius and Stephen Meyer pointed out, if you go back to the the birth of what is called the, the modern scientific movement, that's about the year 1500, matches up about the same time as the Protestant Reformation. And the, the, what's called the scientific model actually finds its origin in that period 500 years ago and was the work of dedicated Christians who created the scientific method that is so predominant in scientific study today. And they were motivated by their faith in God to understand the natural sciences and to understand how God has beautifully and marvelous, marvelously put his world together so that it reveals who he is as a good, powerful, and majestic God. And, and we, we have an opportunity here to reset that understanding that God is actually behind all of this as a wonderful, grace-filled creator and sustainer. So one of the things I love about um, Tom Rodelius's story is how he came to faith. And so can you tease that here so that um, people who might want to know more would not only listen to the podcast, but consider um, consider his book, which really does chronicle that? 
Yeah, it, it's a wonderful story of how uh, he and his twin brother went to college at the same time, but not at the same college, and how his brother's faith becomes a living witness to cause him to start asking some of these questions that he had basically ignored and had accepted the common idea that, well, there's no such thing as God. Science can explain everything, which is what has given rise to this movement that sometimes is called scientism, uh, the religion of science, if you will, um, and how just those conversations, uh, he came home from college uh, for the summer, and his brother started to explain his faith and, and then said, hey, would you go to church with me? And then would you read the Bible with me? And those conversations and those experiences started and, and accelerated his faith journey and ultimately led him first to a belief in God, which is not Christianity, that's just deism, but then passed that to, okay, well, if there is a God, what kind of God is he? And ultimately revealed in the person of Jesus and in the word of God and in the testimony of his brother and others, that's what led him to ultimately decide, okay, this, this God is real, and his name, his face, is Jesus. Um, and you'll find that in many, many stories of uh, people in the scientific community. It's very exciting. Uh, if you're interested in the book, it's Chasing Proof, Finding Faith. Um, you can connect with Tom Rudelius through the podcast at denisonforum.org. You can learn more about him. Um, this is a great series. So thank you so much for sharing it with us today, Mark. We really appreciate it. Oh, glad to do it. There's lots of stuff to learn there, and it's an opportunity for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. So denisonforum.org. Check out uh, the, the two latest podcasts um, from, with Mark Terman. Uh, and thank you so much, Mark, for joining us today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Um, all right. Yes. For those of you who were interested in my reference to chaos cooking, apparently chaos cooking is um, is just cooking at my house. They call it uh, fusion food. They they describe it as opening your refrigerator and, you know, putting things together. Um, I, that's just cooking. Right. Where you where you take what is available and you turn it into dinner. So what's in your pantry? What's in your refrigerator? Um, of of those things, what might you be led to creatively create? Yeah, I just call it cooking, but apparently it's a thing out there in the culture today, and it's you know I don't know. People think they've just they've just happened upon it. Um, do you cook by a recipe or do you just cook? I think that's the question. Uh, I, I just I just cook. Yeah. How about you? And and how are you helping others to taste and see that the Lord is good? Are you going to break bread of fellowship with somebody today? How is Christ going to be made known to others in the breaking of the bread? And, and how are we going to be um, praying today for people who have nothing to eat? Maybe you're fasting today for one reason or another. Um, let's be praying for people who haven't chosen a fast um, but are hungry and have no access to food. Like There's all kinds of opportunities here to pray. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.